With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight, the reigning, defending, 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 undisputed universal heavyweight champion, Wildcat Radio 2.0, bear down. You beautiful people. What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Barry. And Brett, there's not... Well, we took a week off, right? Like, things happen. Like, you can go into that a little bit more. Like, why did we take a week off to begin with? People were missing us. They wanted to hear our thoughts. What happened? I have been having a series of unfortunate events with my <laughs> tech side, uh, having... Adapter failures for my nice microphone. Then once I got a more mediocre microphone that worked better for what we were trying to do while recording from a appropriately socially distant uh, location, then my computer that I could plug that into uh, seems to have died. So apologies for the potentially lower sound quality for me, um, just because I am running through my work laptop, which is probably not company policy, but I doubt they'll... uh, you know, fire me on account of it. That would be a shame because then you definitely couldn't afford to buy all the new equipment you will need to do this the normal way. And like, <laughs> breaking the fourth wall here, we do not record this in a nice studio. We do not have, I mean, we have nice equipment actually. When we're not social distancing due to COVID-19, we have a pretty good setup. But this is strange times and everything's breaking in Brett Barry's house. Pretty much. <laughs> but... You know what, as bad as things are for him, there's a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel maybe when it comes to not only just Arizona football, but sports in general. But because this is Wildcat Radio, we're going to talk about Arizona football this week. Brett, players were back on campus a little bit for some voluntary workouts. And this has been talked about and alluded to quite often recently because people want to see sports come back. And Arizona, Dave Heakey, President Robbins, they've talked about the plans they have in place for Arizona to do this as safely as possible. And so to that extent, this was the first week we're recording this on Wednesday. This was the first I've seen Arizona produce some videos, some content showing guys coming back into the facility with their masks on and everything. And if nothing else, like this doesn't mean football is back, but it is a step in the right direction. Yeah, and you'd, you'd like to hope and assume that with a medical doctor as university president and a football schedule that if we try to stick to, we actually play in a week zero, you, a week earlier than everybody, <laughs> that, you know, you know, for all of us that want to get to a place where we can have football, you know, I think it's hopefully a positive sign. We'll see how it goes. I know other places have had some challenges with their approach to getting players on campus with positive tests. Uh, so far, I guess so good for the Wildcats in terms of their approach and how they're they're testing. Yeah. Um, you know, hopefully that holds true because that's you know there's there's only good news if if no news <laughs> is good news as it comes to uh, you know 
coronavirus testing with the athletes and getting them on campus. Pretty much, yeah. Like Arizona had about 20 players come in this week, and they're going to get 20 to 30 more each Monday through July 6th. And that's assuming everything goes right. And like you said, there's been we've seen the reports all over the country where it's it's interesting because every school there's no uniform way to do this and maybe that's because there's no one knows like this is a unique situation but other schools we see the reports come out every couple days it seems like whichever school i'm trying to remember the ones that did have it i don't want to say anyone this it's been coming through the timeline at some point you're numb to it but they're having issues where players are testing positive and then they're isolating people and just kind of when you see that it one it kind of hammers home how how tenuous this is for everyone because all it takes is one player to test positive and it's like well how many players were they around and what happens when they test positive and that's how viruses spread that's how pandemics happen but just because it happened at other schools doesn't mean it's going to happen at the university of arizona because maybe their plan is the right one maybe they're just going to be lucky you know but either way it's like you want to see this like you said no news is good news because normally in the off season it's kind of similar no news is good news because the only news you get is players get hurt you know, in the offseason in camps, like it's you get all the good stories. Oh, this player is stepping up. This player's finally figured it out. This player's ready to have a big role. But it's like, and that guy tore his knee. You know, like that's not what we're worried about right now. Eventually, we'd like to be worried about that again when they start practicing and try to gear up for this season. But right now, it's just can football still happen? So hopefully, Arizona's approach is a good one, and hopefully, other schools can have sim like have success as well because it's. I don't know. It's it's so strange because every football program is going to want to play, right? They're not going to have a portion of the college football landscape play a season and the other parts not. There's no way that happens. So it's like everyone needs to be able to do this, but everyone needs to be able to show they can do it safely. So we'll see. But it was, I will say, watching the videos, Brett, it's nothing is happening, but it was kind of cool to see Arizona football producing content of things happening as opposed to just an empty stadium saying, we can't wait to bear down with you again or something like that. God, how hard up are you for uh, sports content if you're getting excited of them just showing up on campus? Look, there's players at the University of Arizona again. But uh, does that make sense, though? Because it's like I always like I'm a a sucker for that type of content, like the inside info content. Even when I was covering an NFL team, I like the behind the scenes type of content. I'm always I just like that, you know, just people. I don't know why, but it's like that's a little bit different. So to see what looks like normal football, like mundane things right now, especially that we haven't even been able to see that, you know? So I, I was happy to see it, but I want to make sure that it can continue forward without any setbacks. Absolutely. But the whole schedule, I don't know. AC desert swarm. Brian Peterson wrote a nice thing here. Just kind of the breakdown of the preseason timeline for Arizona, you know, July 6th to 16th, up to eight hours per week of weight training, conditioning and film review with no more than two hours of film review per week. Then July 17th to 30th, up to 20 hours a week of, Countable athletically related activities, no more than four hours per day and at least two days off each week. Um, and then July 31st through August 28th is the official preseason practice window with up to 25 on-field practice days allowed. And the first five days are, quote, an acclimation period before getting into pads. So there's a schedule. There's a timeline to gear up for that week zero game. But obviously there's a lot of time between now where we're recording this on June 17th and any one of those dates listed. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, and maybe more more so for Arizona than the average team, just because we have a whole new defensive staff. You know, dare I say there might be a completely different culture, at least on the defensive side of the the ball, and just kind of maybe a different leadership group among the players. Yeah, uh, I'm curious to see 
You know, like I, I know they tweeted out something that uh, like they had a pretty high team GPA uh, this in the was it the summer session like a three point one GPA for the whole yeah team, I remember seeing that tweet yeah really impressive and like some people were saying like don't underestimate how much this tells you about the culture of the program right now and you know that's a small thing but maybe that's an indication of the discipline and the leadership that you have among the player group right now where they're maybe buying in a little bit and they've they're going to show up on on campus in better shape than you know all other people would but we'll see you know <laughs> so that's the optimistic viewpoint right that they're yeah. been doing well in the classroom that means they're going to be able to pick things up or they're more focused and who's to say right i mean you want to see the one thing they could take know. care of is their off the field stuff or their academics so it's nice to see the players I can't imagine being a college student going through all this and having life just totally up and it's tough as an adult, right? Now we're a borderline adult, I guess. I'm not going to claim adulthood. That would be, that wouldn't be accurate in a lot of ways. But to be able to maintain their academics and like that is part of being a student athlete, right? We always forget that. And granted, I'd rather they win a national championship and have a GPA of like 2.5 than win four games and have like a 3.2. Like, I'm not going to pretend that I care more about the the academics and the on-field stuff. But at the same time, if you're taking care of the on-field stuff, that's a positive sign. If not for the team itself, just for the individuals that, hey, they, they can handle some of this. Yeah, and I think I think uh, the interesting thing you mentioned of, like, seeing the behind-the-scenes stuff, I think it's important for us to all remember that these are, like, actual just human being young kids. And it has implications for people beyond just the, the players, right? Like, you know, <laughs> coronavirus impacts older people more than it does younger people, and we have some older football coaches on our team, right? And they're <laughs> the entire defensive too. coaching staff minus the defensive backs coach, maybe. Or no, he's pretty old. He's older too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have a we have a defensive coaching staff that can be called AARD for a <laughs> defense. Um, wow. But you know, like <laughs> AARD. You know, for defense, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but it's it, it's it's an interesting thing point you make about seeing the people behind it too, and we you know as much as we all want to see it, we got to make sure we're trying to be safe for all of those people and all of the staff that are the support staff and their families and things like that, right? Um, but it's a step in the right direction, and hopefully, we keep having no news as that is good news, like I said. Right, right. Now there had there aside from that, there was there has been some news over the last little bit. Arizona's recruiting. Remember, Brett. A long time ago, when Arizona was the last Power 5 school to have anyone commit for the 2021 recruiting class. I do recall. Well, now Arizona has seven commits, and they are ranked seventh in the Pac-12, which obviously means nothing. (laughs) But this week, Arizona, Dalton Johnson, a safety out of Texas. They got Cole Baston, who's an athlete out of California. A couple of guys who are supposed to be pretty highly thought of. Three-star recruits, but it's like, hey. Players are committing, at least verbally right now, to the University of Arizona. Yeah, um, and at a pace that at this rate we'll have 125 uh, scholarship players if we keep having three in two days um, in like a week. Uh, No, and it's, you know, (laughs) it's almost like the panic on Twitter was maybe, you know, I always go back to things are never as good or as bad as they seem, and I think it was a little bit, unreasonable uh to panic and I, I think we talked about it in a prior pod that like usually the early commits are quarterbacks and those tend to commit early because they they're you know there's only most people only want one quarterback per, per class mm-hmm. ignore asu a few years ago and they signed all of the four-star quarterbacks of which there is what one left yeah like they yeah. signed f- three or four in one year um and we have a 
you know, the future at quarterback ostensibly in Grant Gannell. And then we have a fairly well-regarded quarterback in Will Plummer, and we still have Kevin Doyle out there. Uh, but, you know, seven guys, now you're starting to see the class fill out, and you're seeing it at positions where we know we need guys, like a lot of guys that could fill the safety spot where we're both thin and, uh, shall we say, less than productive the last couple seasons. <laughs> um <laughs> So, you know, it's it's good to see that there's there's some positive momentum. I think maybe there's a little bit of the, the dam breaking on people willing to commit to Arizona. Yeah, yeah. And before we get too much into it, we brought we got some help talking about Arizona's recruiting class because again they've got seven guys now as part of this class. We're recording this on Wednesday, things can always change. But Gabe and Cena, so you people know you all know him from recruiting stuff, A Z Desert Swarm. He joined us to break down Arizona's current recruiting class, what they have. We'll talk to him right after this break. And we're back here with our recruiting expert, Gabe Encinas, who is here to talk about Arizona's football recruiting class, which we're recording this on Tuesday, and Arizona has, I believe, was it seven guys committed. And if you look at the ratings on 247 Sports, Arizona has a number seven class in the Pac-12. It's early, but Gabe, it's not bad, right? Yeah, I mean... I really like this class so far, and, like, for me, I've always tried to stay away from the rankings. I I think it really gets muddy after, like, the top 600. Like, you could really just rank guys wherever. So I try to take – I try not to put too much stock into it, but, I mean, on film, these guys are probably as good as as Arizona has seen over the last few years. I'd put it up there with the 2017 class, which was really solid, I think. On film, just raw skill and ability. These guys are well coached and and in a good position to to potentially turn this thing around once once they get some coaching on them. And that's interesting too, because if from the outsider's perspective, you see this class and there's a lot of three star recruits, and you see some of the guys that or some of the programs that Arizona was competing with for them, and it's like it's not exactly an impressive list going down through them, but. From your evaluation, you do some stories for AZ Desert Swarm, and you have some stories up on these guys and talking about them. Like, what is it about this class that makes you say this could be one that could help the program really turn things around? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that is kind of that you have to look at really is just kind of the spring evaluation period and how kind of the shutdown really hurt a lot of these guys. And and now it's it. I think this is kind of where the coaching staff has shined is just kind of doing that homework. And, you know, they, they really did some, some strong scouting here to find some of these guys. I mean, not a lot of strong offer lists across the board. Um, but I think what you do see, uh, and I think it's kind of a trend with Sumlin, of course, over Rich Rod, is that there is size across the board. These guys, you know, they have a solid frame on them already. And, and you know, they don't need that much extra work uh, in terms of, you know, strength and then adding on that size they've got the frame for it already and like i mentioned i think they're just all really solid to begin with you can tell they're well coached disciplined and i think that's really what you need and and you can work with that when when they're well coached and they've got good habits and and they just go out there and make plays you know i think last year the class was very raw and i think that a lot of guys they kind of had to reach for and like all right a lot of these especially on the edge they need you know, maybe a red shirt year, maybe not even see anything the second year either. But here, I think, I mean, a lot of these guys, I think it's just, just the coaching that they have. They just look 
fundamentally sound and they've got the raw ability where I think this could actually be a really good class. And for me, you know, I know, you know, this is kind of that make or break a year for someone, but I'm, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty irritated as, as well as other fans, but I mean, I'd love to see a staff that's fully committed to that's recruited this class to really get in and work with these guys. Yeah, Gabe, I'd like to get your perspective on this class. When you're saying, like, well-coached, you know, I think there maybe a, a subtext of that is, you know, a three-star in Texas maybe doesn't equal a three-star in Arizona, right? Um, and it seems like, I don't know if you've listened to the pod much, but me and Adam have talked about it, where it seemed like someone the last maybe two years ago class was more about uh, let's build the let's have a high success rate even on these three-star commits and maybe not having the, the superstar high-rated guys, but build that depth and kind of competence and that hit rate. Uh, do you, can you talk a little bit about like maybe the difference between in your perspective of like how, how someone has been going about building these recruiting classes like this year and in the, the last couple years and how you see that playing out? Yeah. So, I mean, this year, I think for, for a lot of these guys, a good way to put it is just they already come in with a high floor. Like a lot of these guys, I don't really see them, you know, and then I think that was kind of the problem towards the end of Rich Rod's last few years. A lot of those guys, you know, they're they're late bloomers, really. And, and you're still kind of waiting on some some guys here and there. But I think that here you kind of know what you're getting and, and they just need some good coaching here and, and put them in the system to develop them. I, I really like, it's just a very sound group here last year. Like I said, I think towards the end of the class, cause they were pretty low on numbers for most of it, uh, for most of the process. And they got a lot of late commitments. I think last year was definitely a year where they kind of just filled in with upside guys, very raw, a lot of guys with development, and I talked about Parrish Sands, Chantrell Key, um, Dylan Miller's another guy. So there's a lot of late guys there that I think will take some time to develop. They had a couple uh, international guys there. So that that's kind of the interesting part there. And then his 2019 class, I mean, that should be a very solid class, and that's obviously circled around Grant Gannell. You're waiting for Booby Curry to jump into the mix this year. Bach Wolf should be pretty solid. And then you've got a couple other contributors, a lot of Juco guys. But, um, I mean, and, and that was pretty impressive for his first year, I think, to be honest. I know it, it ended up, it started a little slow, but it ended up pretty strong. And then last year, kind of a, a weird mix, I'd say. And, and maybe that's just kind of results-driven, just kind of a disappointing first year given the, the situation. Um, but now this year, I think that it has just a lot of high floor guys and, and still with a lot of room for a high ceiling too. Are there any guys out there or position groups that you view as the must get type guys that Arizona Wildcat fans should be maybe keeping an eye on in their recruitment? Or, um, I know like there's Clay Mill in the quarterback and I think there's a defensive end, Nick Demetrius. Is that how you pronounce it? That I know we're in on. Is there... Are those guys yeah. you think you feel good about, or are there other big-name guys that you think Arizona fans should keep an eye on? So, yeah, so Clay Millen's the interesting one where, um, I like, it, it was, it, I don't know. I feel like it didn't get a lot of attention amongst Arizona fans, and obviously I'm not as plugged in as I used to be. And, oh, don't and say that. Tra- no, no. You're, <laughs> you're, the, you're the guy, Gabe Encinas, AZ Desert Swarm I, football guy. <laughs> 
I, I can't track it as much as I would like to, but Clay Millen, I mean, that was such an interest. It's, I mean, it still is an interesting recruitment to me because just the way that his offer list stacked, I mean, he's a top 400, 500 kid, I think, but the way his offer list kind of stacked up, they, all his schools have kind of filled in on on their potential guys there. And I know he was kind of flirting with LSU a little bit and he wanted to visit and they weren't really offering him. And they, I think they've already landed two quarterbacks in that class. And I, I, someone interviewed him and as of like three weeks ago, he was down to Arizona and Indiana um, and he was in the mix to, to make a decision pretty soon. And then suddenly Colorado jumped in and they did a pretty good job recruiting last year. They've got a little bit of momentum this year. And actually on 247, they have three crystal balls for Colorado. So that would be a huge gut punch for sure if Arizona doesn't land him. I know he's got a great relationship with Mazzoni. And they, there were a couple other guys. I think uh, Kitna, I'm blanking on his first name, but John Kitna's son. Um, he was in the mix, and I think he went to Florida and then they passed on Cameron Friel, his offer. I, they, were, they were pretty much waiting on Kitna and Millen. Um, and he ended, uh, Cameron Friel out of Hawaii ended up going to UNLV or Nevada. I think it was UNLV. So if they don't land Clay Millen, that, they're definitely in an interesting spot. Like you're, you're likely just going to have to wait for a flip at some point. Cause I think literally every offer that they have, all their QBs are committed. So um, yeah, that's going to be one to watch. I don't know what his timeline's like now because Colorado offered so late, um, you know, relative, a lot of quarterbacks are committed by the spring and we're into summer now. So that's one to watch for sure. Um, I, I have been told about Nick Demetrius. I don't know too much about him, um, but I have like, he is a guy definitely to look out for in the next, I don't know his timeline to commit, but there's definitely a very solid chance. I would say, uh, kind of a mixed bag in his recruitment I think um, but it's a huge high-end guy and then another guy um, I'm trying to scroll through some messages here um, let's see here uh, DJ Fryer he's another guy that could be coming in soon um, or pretty close to a decision not not ranked really kind of under the radar a low three-star guy got Boise State Fresno State and Washington State, um, another kind of inside, outside linebacker guy. So they're going heavy at that position. Um, you know, they could potentially have up to five guys there, but definitely a position of need and someone to definitely keep an eye on. You're talking about the players that Arizona has a chance at still getting. And I look at this class and I have basically a two-part question is, one, if it's as good as you think it is, these guys are maybe somewhat underrated. How is Kevin Summer and this staff, who everyone knows is on thin ice and may not make it through this next season, landing these guys? And then the follow-up to that or the adjoining question is, how does Arizona make sure they keep these guys? Like, obviously, they haven't signed their letters of intent or anything like that. These are just guys who committed to Arizona. So how tenuous might that be to keep this class that they have, let alone bring in even more right now? Yeah, and I mean, that's the tough part. And obviously, uh, before we hopped on, we were talking about how Arizona was the only school, the only Power 5 school without a commitment up until I think May 7th was their first one. Now they have seven in about as many weeks. But And, and that's the tough part where it's like, okay, this is 
ultimately like a huge make it or break it year, you know, pending, you know, the affordability of a buyout now, given our current situation. But, um, you know, and that, and that I think makes it hard for a guy to commit to a program where you don't really know and, you know, commit to a school, not a coach. And I think a few guys like Cole Baston and uh, maybe another guy that I'm blanking. I think, oh, JT Han, his dad played here, um, I guess, in the 90s. I, I was not around for those days. But Cole Batson, he uh, he said that he toured campus on his own, and he just felt like that was the right school for him. So those two guys, they're committing to the school, not the staff particularly. But at the same time, going back to kind of the spring eval period, Arizona is, I mean, one of the lone Power 5 offers, if not, like, one of the very few Power 5 offers that these guys have. So it kind of makes it a little easier to track in recruiting. You'll see some guys just kind of chase after the Power 5. But so I think that is the case here uh, for some of them. But at the same time, I do think that the staff has really done a great job evaluating and, you know, getting in contact with some of these under-recruited guys. Like, you look at, you know, JT Han coming out of Mission Viejo. They're a top 25 school in the country and kind of head-shaking this. It's kind of like Colin Schooler in the same exact school, too. You're like, how did this guy only have a UNLV offer? Um, I mean, maybe he was just waiting on Arizona because he's a legacy and, you know, the staff kind of told other schools that. But um, I do think just kind of... the the low exposure on these guys and their offer list, like Arizona just jumped out to them. And when, when you're the first power five offer for, for a guy and and you believe in them, you know, they, they really buy into that. So, um, you know, I guess it comes down to just, you know, playing it out. And, and I mean, maybe some of these guys jumped on the offer, but you know, I, for me, it's tough, you know, the, the win loss that's going to be, you know, over someone's head this year. But I, I think if the class continues to kind of get this strong wave of commitments, like I'm I'm definitely a lot more willing to see, you know, what this de- and it's defensive heavy, what this defensive staff can do and what he can do. So uh, that's, I mean, obviously the interesting dynamic of this class. Right, right. And I know you wrote on AZ Desert's phone recently about Dalton Johnson, the safety who recently committed to Arizona, that you're a big fan of that commitment for the Wildcats is he obviously you you clearly like him is there anyone else besides him or just what is it about him in this class that stands out like who do you like of the I guess seven commitments Arizona has right now who are the ones that really stand out to you and why yeah so I really like Dalton Johnson and and so usually when I'm like tracking a a recruit I'll usually just watch the film myself and without looking at any of their recruiting services and I'll kind of rank them in my head and be like okay he's from Texas, so he's probably got like a TCU offer, and, and just while I'm watching film, and I mean, for him, I mean, he, he's just got, and, and like I wrote in the article earlier, uh, he's just got elite closing speed, I mean, you can tell he's got a high football IQ, just flows to the ball, makes a lot of plays he really has no business making, where, I mean, he's on the opposite hash, and he's tracking down a play on the other side of the field, and uh, I mean, he's already got that, that Pac-12 speed in him. I think he could be a versatile piece in, in the defense. Looks like a sound, fundamental tackler. Um, just a, a very solid piece, a strong football player for me. 
I mean, I think he should be the highest ranked guy in the class and probably like a top 700 guy. Uh, I think they have him like around the 1200s maybe. Um, so he's, he's definitely probably the highest ranked in my opinion. Uh, I'd also love JT hand, the center at a mission Viejo. And, you know, he's even ranked lower, I believe, but he's a super strong piece. I mean, he's another guy that just looks well coached, great feet. He looks strong. He's got a good base. I think he's six, three, you know, close to 300 and he's a true center. And I, and I value that a lot, you know, as a center, you know, I'd rather have someone who specializes in center that can also play guard than, you know, trying to force a guard to play center. So I like that versatility. Um, you know, he's just a really strong prospect that I like. And then um, he's higher up in the rankings and then another new guy, but I like Cole Batson. Uh, he's a safety out of California, um, a big program. I'm blanking on the name, but uh, he's San six. Yeah, yeah, the Tritons. And uh, he's 6'4", 190. He's super rangy as a free safety. Um, you know, he could probably fill out and play linebacker a little bit. You know, tall linebacker, but, I mean, he'd be ultra-athletic off the edge. Um, but, I mean, he, he just he just makes plays in his film. And, and for me, I'm just kind of addicted to that playmaking safety type. I just love that skill set when, when they fly to the ball and, and they're making plays and hits and really just doing everything across the field. So he's someone I really like. And that's probably my top three. And then... Uh, you know, I'd put like a Colby Cage just below them. Um, and that's kind of my upper half for sure. Nice. So Gabe, uh, one more question for you, and then we'll probably let you go. Um, you know, the coronavirus has kind of impacted all of, uh, our lives and, and also that includes football recruiting, right? Um, in the past, you know, I, I know Mew and I used to have text conversations about how sometimes schools like Arizona or the Boise States would have to kind of do the digging to find some of these guys. And then, you know, the USC's or UCLA's can come in with a late offer and they can play that, you know, drop the name uh, and the program history behind the offer. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on what's going to be the impact for the Arizona Wildcats when it comes to recruiting. Is it a net benefit or a net uh, drawback in terms of their football recruiting where you can't as easily take campus visits. Um, you know, it's, they're not having the camps where people get more publicity is when their guys are kind of maybe blowing up on recruiting. Uh, but maybe that means the bigger programs don't find the hidden gems. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on what the impacts can be for Arizona. Yeah, and, and that's an interesting question that I hadn't really thought about. But I do think that helps Arizona just because, you know, when, when you start getting to these upper-tier programs like a USC or an Oregon, like, they really want to make sure that they're hitting on a guy. And if they don't have all that information that they would have if they were able to fly down to the school, you know, work the kid out, you know, get a general feel for him, you know, do all of that stuff, you know it's a little bit more risky for them, I would say. And, and, you know, it, it is coincidental how Arizona will offer a kid and then Oregon uh, would offer just a few days later back, back in over the last few years. But I do think that this helps uh, Arizona. I mean, and I think that they did a lot of solid scouting to, to find these guys and, and they've really got a good core here. And, you know, I don't know particularly who would be like, 
JT Hand for me is someone who could absolutely blow up. I feel like he could dominate camps, but as a legacy guy, I, I think he's pretty solid. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you know a Jackson Bailey or a Colby Cage, two super athletic linebackers, get picked up um, or pick up some other offers. But I mean, I do think that you know they did a great job of scouting. They found these guys. I uh, they used their networks. I don't know what they did to find some of these guys, but these were truly some hidden gems that would have definitely benefited from you know the rival circuit and and all those camps and satellites. So, uh, yeah, I I feel good about Arizona's class so far, and I don't think that you know the only thing that could take this thing off the rails is if it's just an absolute bloodbath of a season, and you know it's a two thousand seven season all over again but uh yeah i think arizona's in a good spot especially considering where they were a month ago definitely especially when they had no recruits i guess yes you know and like you said earlier when we started you said you don't really look at the rankings too much or the ratings and all that because you've seen these guys and you like them better but of course you know getting them on campus when it can happen and just it's recruiting it's always an adventure i've old enough to remember when Arizona got guys like Jalen Tabor, who and I celebrated that one, and then he ended up not making yeah. it. Like three days later or something, he decided to decommit. So it's, in a, it's a really infuriating game when you're Arizona at times with recruiting because, you know, you discover those players and then they get recruited by other schools. But, the, you know, flipping guys and players decommitting, that happens all the time. But certainly feel better about Arizona's recruiting class now than they did six weeks ago, seven weeks ago when there was no recruiting class. So... Gabe, we appreciate the time. Uh, thanks for the insight, and be happy to catch up with you again sometime down the road. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Anytime. Always want to talk ball. So appreciate you guys for having me. So thanks again to Gabe and Cenas for all that information. And, Brett, I, I do got to say where you look at this recruiting class, and it's not – it's ranked number seven in the Pac-12 right now. It's probably not going to stay even that high. Arizona has obviously struggled in the rankings, recruiting rankings, the last few seasons. But talking to Gabe, it makes it sound like they may have, at least in these seven guys, Jackson Bailey, Cole Batson, Colby Cage, Kevin Garcia, Dalton Johnson, J.T. Hand, and Evan Branch Haynes, that there may be some diamonds in there that are undervalued, under-recruited, that Arizona unearthed. Yeah, and, you know, it kind of, I, I, there's always the kind of funny debate of, like, how much do star ratings matter, in, especially in football recruiting? And I, it's, I think the answer is always they matter, but they're also imperfect, right? They um, matter less when you don't get high-star recruits. I guess it's, and I, you and have I think, to take that approach, yeah. and all you're getting is three stars, right? Well, sure. And it, it, it's it's different in football, and I think Gabe touched on it, where he's like, you know, once you get past the top, like, 600, like, do you think any of these recruiting analysts have actually seen not just the highlight films, but seen these kids at camp for, like, you know, 2,000 different players that are, and they're, the ranking between 600 and 900 is very right, precise. Right. It's, I mean, it's just not. Um, and so I think the question is, you know, well, and I hinted at it in our, in our questions with, or talked about it with, with Gabe, you know, a three-star in Texas that's reasonably well regarded from a good program that produced, I feel a hell of a lot more confident that that's going to be a, that's going to be a hit, not a swing and a miss than like a middling three-star in, you know, Idaho, right, even right. Arizona for that matter. Arizona has become a much better recruiting ground, and both Arizona and ASU have struggled to keep them home. But I think that has more to do with 
kids just wanting to get away from home <laughs> and ASU and U of A not being a, you know, they're not USC, they're not UCLA. Right. Um, but you got to kind of like the guys. If, and if you, if you take Gabe at his word night, and I, I generally do, because I, I know he actually does spend some time to watch highlight films. Granted, highlight films are just that, highlights. So they can make, you know, we could probably come up with a highlight film for me on a basketball court. I'd be like, that guy's not terrible. Well, I could say that guy is terrible, but he seems all right at basketball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, so it's that's that's where you look for and there's i think uh we talked about before too like some of the some of the positions are you know like linemen are notoriously difficult to project right right um I, and i i've i'm on the record as saying that i and i think the plan if i'm reading the tea leaves of how they're going about the last couple of classes i think two years ago they got a lot of the high floor guys to kind of build out the depth get a lot more size I think last year, to Gabe's point, I think they had to kind of reach a little bit for some, but they seemed to find guys that at least had upside. Um, this year, it seems like it's a lot of the kind of the guys that are probably going to produce with a high a high floor and a reasonably high ceiling, which is kind of what Arizona used to target. You know, maybe none of these guys are stars, but if you get in a 25-man class, 18 that are competent to very good, that's a that's a that's a the difference between four wins and seven or eight wins. And in the right, right system with the right coaching, some of these guys. And to your point, what you were saying earlier, like stars don't always matter in football, probably less than a lot of other sports because system matters, right? And guys, yeah. there's so many players out there where you do find those diamonds in the rough. Like I mean, everybody always points to two star scoop, right? And like those are those are the exceptions. Most of the time, the best players. If you look at, I forget the numbers when you're looking like LSU's roster. They're mostly like four and five stars, right? Like it's for the most part. If you have those type of players, you're going to be a good team. The problem is for Arizona, since they have not been a good team, they have trouble attracting those type of players. And that's one of the things I asked Gabe about. Is like, well, if we're high on these players, how? Why are they going to Arizona? Because they're committing to a coaching staff. They're committing to a program. And he mentioned some of the guys like are committing to the University of Arizona more so than the coaching staff. But we all know Kevin Sumlin is not. If they struggle, if Arizona gets off to a bad start, he's not going to finish this. Most likely, I guess the coronavirus stuff may change the finances and who knows what that does. But it's just this interesting situation where Arizona needs to find these guys, coach them up and win seven, eight games with these types of players, show that you can build something, send some of these guys to the NFL, and then you start to recruit those four stars and and such, right? Like ASU, for instance, everybody's going to compare Arizona to ASU. They've got a few four-star receivers. Why? Because they're sending receivers to the NFL in the first round of the draft. You know, they're not winning a ton of games, seven and eight games the last two seasons, but people believe in Herm Edwards and what they're doing. He's going to be there. There's a positive vibe, and they're sending guys. Again, that's a first-round pick. Everybody's all excited. They had a first-round pick, I think, and then they had, you know, Benjamin in the seventh round. But these high-end players are still going, choosing ASU. Not a bunch of them. They're not getting Oregon-type numbers or LSU or Alabama, but they're getting more because there's this belief that it's going to pay off for those players. Arizona has to show that that can be the case. The problem for them is they're going to have to show it with guys who are maybe either underrated or hopefully, in this case, undervalued on a national scale. And I think there's, you know, we've talked about, like, who has the best chance for NFL prospects on the roster right now, like Donovan Lay. Right, he was not a super highly regarded guy, and very quickly he got on campus, and now everybody is basically under the assumption that he is the best NFL prospect on the on the roster. You know, he was one of those guys that was the, a little bit of the diamond in the rough, right? Right. Um, just for just for funsies, I looked up Adam, our highest uh, 
recruiting class under Rich Rod, which is 20, 2014, ranked number 31. According to 247, that had five four-star recruits. Can you name them? <laughs> no. I'm trying to think of 2014. Well, no, definitely not. Brandon uh, Dawkins? No, he wasn't in that class, but he was a much lower... He was not a four-star. He was kind of like a middle-to-high three-star. Okay. Uh, Cam, Cam Denson was the highest rated. Never really quite figured it out. Marquis Ware, next highest rated. Injured, never did anything. Jamardre Cobb ate an entire bakery and became a fullback. <laughs> Nick Wilson. That's unnecessary. <laughs> Nick, Nick Wilson. Who was uh, good. Good. Injured half the time. Jordan Poland. Uh, kicked off the team and ruined his future. Um, and then you had a lot of high three-star guys right after that. Marcus Griffin, Antonio Smothers, Jonathan Hayden. Those are the next three highest guys. You know, you start going down in that class, you know, the guys, you know, where uh, I would contend that um, Jace Whitaker was the best player in that class, and he was, what, fifth from the bottom in and terms the, of rankings? And that's the 2014 class, you said. Yeah. So that's the team. They were freshmen on the team that won the Pac-12 South, but then you can see they didn't really develop into much, which is part of the reason why Arizona is in the position they have been the last couple of seasons. No, it's, I, Gabe, if you, if you were looking at Arizona's recruiting class, Gabe would make you feel like, you know what, the seven guys they have so far, don't be upset about that, that there's some talent there. He talked a lot about the coaching they have, that they're well-coached players, which – I think that lends itself to your high floor type of guys. Players who yeah. come in at some point, make an impact, maybe not be stars, but they're going to be productive players for you. But at the same time, if you look at the star ratings and you look at other players or other schools, what they're getting, now the recruiting class is far from finished, of course, but Arizona's is not going to rank that highly. So you're trusting this coaching staff, one, to identify talent, maybe where others aren't, and two, to coach up the talent they do have. And I do think that scene, that strategy was seen in the defensive coaching staff that Kevin Sumlin put together, which is a bunch of teachers. Not that they can't recruit. Paul Rhodes is supposed to be a pretty good recruiter. You know, Bo's a good recruiter. These guys can handle that side of it. But they're brought in to teach, to coach, to maximize the talent they have. And that's where if Arizona did hit on some of these guys, so these guys are underrated and undervalued, and these coaches can maximize the talent that's there, then some will become stars, and that's how you start to build this. And then all of a sudden, you win seven games this season. You stick around. Then these guys come in, and you win maybe seven or eight games the next season, and you're building something. Grant Cannell's a junior. Now, you know, maybe he stays for his senior season, and you're considered a Pac-12 South dark horse, if not favorite. Then you start to bring in these better recruiting classes, and the rankings are higher. That doesn't mean they're going to be better. But, again, like for all the people who say stars don't matter, that may be true because once they're on the field, it doesn't matter what they were rated. But give me as many four and five stars as you can. <laughs> oh, sure. Well, and, the, and the, the, the thing is, once you start filling this class out with some, if you feel really comfortable with high floor, potentially underrated, you know, productive guys, like, like Gabe is talking about with most of the guys I think that we have in the seven commits, if, the, if that is true and you're the Arizona coaching staff, you say, okay, I've got those locked up. Now I can focus my time, and, you know, I would love, love, love for us to try to actually, you know, hit on some of these higher-rated guys like Nick Demetrius. So is you a, can swing for the fences a, when you've got... Like, and yeah. he's, he's a high three, low four-star type guy, which, you know, there's a lot... You know, we're, we're, not, we're a long way from getting a five-star recruit to commit. Um, maybe we can get a couple four-stars. Oftentimes, the four-stars we can get are for reasons that aren't 
just recruiting quality. It's, you know, <laughs> something going on, right? And you uh, mentioned like a Texas three-star is probably as good as maybe like an Arizona four-star. Though Arizona's getting better, but you did mention that. And that's true. Yeah, and like, and I think we've, you know, we've gotten some reasonably well-regarded Arizona three-stars. Like Reagan Terry is like, he, he's not a guy I expect to, you know, contribute this year, but... Uh, and you know Paris Shand, there's guy Chantrell Key from mm-hmm. last year's class. Like those, you you know you can't coach somebody to be 300 pounds at six five, right? When Reagan Terry um, had offers from like UCA or USC was trying to poach him at the end. Yeah, and it was the same thing that happened with Jordan Morgan, right? And he's he's still you know he hasn't necessarily done it yet, but there's there's positive signs. I actually really like the 2019 class. And if we have another kind of 2019 class in the 2021, where I think Booby Curry was the only technical four star and Grant Gannell was maybe the next highest as like a high three star. But there was a, there seems the early returns seem to indicate there's a, a high hit rate, right? Um, Which would speak well of the coaching staff, right? Their ability to identify talent. If that's the case. Now the first recruiting class guys like Gannell, Curry, Wolf, they got because of those A&M connections. So at some point they have to start doing it in Tucson. But if they, if if you're right, Brett, and I, it's hard to agree with you given that Arizona won four games last season. But if you're right, and I want to agree with you, then it shows that this coaching staff has an ability to find those undervalued players. Which if you're Arizona, that's largely how you've built your best teams by bringing in players who are good, are talented, but just aren't recognized as being high-end recruits across the country. Yeah, I mean, look at. Look at Colin Schooler. Look at Tony Fields. Look at Gary Brightwell Jr. Right. Those guys right. were all in the same class. You know, I think Colin Schooler and Tony Fields were generally well regarded by their rankings, but were not particularly highly recruited in terms of offers. Uh, so, you know, it's an inexact science and it's hard to project and you don't know how uh, players are going to perform once they get on campus. And, you know, to be blunt, a lot of the Rich Rod teams had guys. Uh, for one reason or another, no longer be on the team. <laughs> um, and you, those kind of, where you get no value out of a recruit, especially ones that are highly rated, that's where it really kind of kills you, right? Like if you have five out of 25 guys just basically get kicked off the team for some reason within a year, you've, you really set yourself back in terms of depth and developing a program. Uh, it just, it, it compounds on itself in the negative sense. Well, and the interesting thing, too, is like Rich Rodriguez's best teams early on still had some Mike Stoops recruits. And for all the all the faults that Mike Stoops had with Arizona, his recruiting was pretty good for Arizona. And because he was known as like an NFL type of guy, had, you know, the Oklahoma, he had the Stoops name, and they did send guys to the NFL. So, like, Kadeem Carey was a Stoops guy, right? He was just flourished. He was great under Rich Rodriguez. Austin Hill was a Stoops guy. I don't remember Scooby Wright was. I don't well, he think was. he was. He like an end of Stoops guy. I think I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he was. But regardless, like Rich Rod benefited from the end of the Mike Stoops. Like Mike Stoops' end wasn't great, but he still brought in some talent, and that was there for Rich Rodriguez. Rich Rodriguez did a good job of maximizing what was left. I mean, shoot, his first season he had Matt Scott as a redshirt senior quarterback. That wasn't bad. Granted, Kevin, someone had. Khalil Tate, who was a Heisman Trophy candidate, so no, he doesn't get a pass and, on that and one. Him the Heisman, right? But what I'm saying is, that then like Rich Rodriguez, when he left, Grand Arizona was a bowl team, but the talent wasn't exactly high end at that point. Like Khalil Tate's greatness dragged them to a bowl game that season and kind of hid or masked a lot of the issues that team had, the program had, and that's what Kevin Sumlin took over. And 
we want to look at his recruiting class and say part of the reason they hired Kevin Selman was his recruiting, right? He was always coming into Arizona and stealing the top recruits at A&M, and they didn't win a lot, but, man, that guy could recruit. Well, so far, his first class, his first full class, he had some guys that were his A&M connections, your Gunnells, your Curry, your Wolf, you know, but now when it's up to him, he's got to prove that he can do it in Arizona, and he's going to have a hard time getting those types of players if they don't start winning because he's not going to be here. So, and that's one of the reasons I asked Gabe is, like, They've got these guys, and maybe they are better than their rating. But why are they choosing Arizona? And that's, obviously, they want to go play college ball somewhere. It's still Pac-12 school, Power 5. So there's no shame in going to Arizona. But it's interesting to me to see how when Kevin Sullivan is clearly, clearly not set up to be the coach for by the time these guys show up on campus, they're still committing to Kevin Sullivan and the University of Arizona. And, of course, that means... Like, they may not ever make it to Tucson. <laughs> they haven't sent any letters of intent. But it's just, it's interesting to me to see how that's happened. Yeah, and I, th- and I think we, you know, we asked Gabe the question. It'll be curious to me to see how some of those, you know, underrated gems that normally in, would be going through summer circuit things and go into camps and get more late offers, you know. It's 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 going to be an interesting recruiting season, and anybody that tells you that they know exactly how this class is going to turn out, you know, is lying to you. Um, you know, there's there's very few things that are like, hey, that guy's a surefire commit, right, or a right. star. I mean, think back. U of A was really in there with Rich Rod with the uh, um, the big defensive tackle McKenzie, Khalil McKenzie, who was like a, top, a five-star guy that was going to be a you know first-round NFL pick. And then we lo- barely lost that recruiting battle to Tennessee, and then kid didn't really do anything. Well, he looked like a surefire star. And I mentioned to Gabe, Jalen Tabor, who committed Arizona, I think at the was one of the All-American games, put on the yeah. U of A hat, and then like three days later, he's like, I'm going to go to Florida instead. <laughs> to be fair, I'm pretty, was it his mom in the background that was not Did happy not look happy that he chose Arizona. That, well, that was like, I've heard stories of... Uh, um, what was his name? The Chaparral kid that went. Oh, Devonte Neal. Yeah, Devonte yeah. Neal. I heard stories of 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 that announcement conference. <laughs> yeah. Parents, it, recruiting is a fun thing when it involves not just the kid but the parents and. <laughs> but when your Arizona recruiting is tougher because never mind the fact that you're not necessarily getting all the top recruits, so you're down on the recruits that they are getting because they're all like three stars. You're competing with like Houston Baptist or whatever for players. But then you have to worry about them actually signing with your school. Like you're always in danger of getting having guys get poached. And granted, Arizona's done that too. They flip guys at the very last second, just like they've had guys get flipped usually by Oregon. <laughs> so that, but that's recruiting right now. And if you're Arizona, just... I don't mind the seven. I, I think you're right, Brett, where if they have the depth and these guys that they can look at and say, you know what, this is a, this, it's a good start to a recruiting class. It allows them to try to swing for the fences on some of the other guys where they wouldn't be needs, but they'd be great gets if they can do it. And allows them to focus. And who knows how this recruiting cycle with all the coronavirus stuff and the lack of visits, or anything, who knows how much that impacts things. Gabe mentioned that too. You asked him about it. It was a good question because we don't know. But if Arizona, if these seven guys are a solid foundation – they obviously need more than seven. I don't know how many they're going to need in this entire recruiting class. But certainly that does give them the ability to say, you know what, why not try to go get that great receiver or try to get that big recruit with they're in on like in the top seven, top eight. Why not? Because if you don't get them, it's not like your recruiting cupboard is empty at that point. 
Yeah, look at look at and you said receiver. Our receiver room is very full with a lot of intriguing talent and some high end talent, and most of the guys there seem like they can at least be a threat, and they have some upside. So like, are you gonna be are you gonna die at that position? As you know, if we didn't get seniors or uh, safeties in this class, our safeties were already not the greatest, and we lost like five of them to leaving the team yeah, <laughs> unexpectedly. Yeah. You know, if they don't fill this class up with a couple of safeties, which they already have, you know, there'd be massive problems there. <laughs> right. Um, but, you, you know, once once you have that depth in place, it allows you to more go for the, would boy, swing for the fence and get this, this higher, you know, higher rated guy. And if you could supplement the depth with some star talent, that's how you go from being a, you know, eligible team to a competitive team in the south right for sure no i mean it makes sense the trick is just doing that and that's it so well as we wrap up this segment just it's not a bad start to the recruiting class arizona needs to win games win games got to a good start show that kevin someone will be around show that arizona has got in the program heading in the right direction and watch the recruiting class finish off looking not great they're not going to be like top five in the pac 12 but solid. So it doesn't have to be bottom three, depending. But there's there's some things working against Arizona, and they're all in the open. It's all out there. So yeah. the coaching staff, good job landing the guys they have gotten so far. There might be some surprises in that group. According to Gabe, there are, and it wouldn't shock me. It's football. And there's always a chance for some of these guys to outperform their rankings because that's what happens. So, Brett, before we got one more segment to do, we asked you all for a mailbag to send in your questions, and we're going to answer them right after this break. Welcome back. And Brett, we did, like I said, we asked via the Wildcat Radio AZ Twitter account, at Wildcat Radio AZ, for some mailbag. We had some questions submitted to us because even though there hasn't been a ton going on, there's still just a lot of questions surrounding Arizona Wildcats, football, basketball, everything. Brett, I know you got it all in front of you. What do we have for our mailbag here? So our friend Matt Lorimer asked us, my hope is that Williams, Brandon Williams, doesn't go pro. He says, call me selfish, but I want another year of him as a Wildcat. Assuming this is true and he is back, what is the most likely transfer, ineligible freshman, or other move? Which, I mean, I think Matt is insinuating that, you know, we're already at the, I think we're already over the roster limit. Yeah, yeah there's one extra scholarship. With, with Brandon Williams on the roster. So if, if we're going to assume that, Brandon Williams is coming back. Who is most likely to leave is the question. Right. Or or not be on the team. <laughs> That's such a tough question because I, I, I guess I'll start off here. I don't think Brandon Williams plays again for the Arizona Wildcats. So I don't think – I think he's going to be the one who goes. And that's not because I don't want him back because I'm, I'm with Matt on that. I'd love to see Brandon Williams play again for Arizona because I like him. I think he's a good player when he's healthy. So to some degree, I think it's almost like a false choice type of thing because it's hard to say which other guy would lose their scholarship or transfer. You know, it's, I don't think it's going to come to that. But I mean, the other Tabulis is probably one of the lesser players on the team, but I can't imagine they got them both, both the Tabulai with perhaps one of them having to go off scholarship. I remember hearing, or there was rumors that maybe Ira Lee wouldn't be back, but they've been using a lot with him in like their promotions, their off season stuff as a senior. I, 
I, I think it's Brandon Williams. I, I don't think Arizona recruited the way they do if they were expecting Brandon Williams to play again for the Wildcats. I know it's kind of punting that answer, but that's how I, I see say, it. Way to, way, to, way to not answer the question. I know, but I, but I think that's what it is. Literally go against the spirit. Yeah. We, apo- we apologize. Bad for question, Matt Lorimer. I apologize Lormer. for Adam. <laughs> um, I, think, I think you uh, nailed who I would have probably said is if in that scenario, which I agree is highly unlikely that he's coming back, I, my money, if if you were in that scenario, would be on Ira Lee, just because I think minutes are going to be scarce, potentially, um, and he's running out of eligibility, and if he wanted to go chase minutes, I think he could transfer to another program and, you know, play 30 minutes a game, which is just not going to happen at, at, at Unless unless a couple of things happen at Arizona next year, right. I think he will have a role, and I think Sean Miller, you know, likes to lean on his on his seniors especially. Um, but you know, he, he Ira Lee ain't averaging twenty minutes a game. He's it's going to be ten, right? It's going to be last year kind of minutes at at best. Yeah. Um, so that that would be my my guess. Um, but yeah, I think that's you know this isn't. College sports is not the uh, NBA where you can trade uh, I relief for a future second round pick or something <laughs> like that. No, no, and like we've talked about this before. I, I just think Arizona in their recruiting, what you said. Never mind the fact that they've over recruited for scholarships. All the guards they've brought in this offseason, all the guys that they have that can handle the ball. I think they did that with the idea that Brandon Williams would not be back with them this season. And it's to me, it's a mutual parting. Brandon Williams wants to play. Arizona may not clear him to play for them because they don't want to have another Ray Smith situation where another guy comes out and plays and just loses his career as an Arizona Wildcat because he's trying to play through an injury that he probably shouldn't be playing through. Not to say that Brandon Williams shouldn't be playing through it, but just all signs seem to point to Brandon Williams not coming back. And if and I wonder, too, with this offseason, like if I really was going to transfer, if that was going to be the case, I feel like it would have come out by now because a lot of transfers happen. The portal's been open. Players have been finding spots. Now, he would have to go down a level if he was going to play this season, most likely, because unless he got a waiver, but I don't know why he'd get a waiver just because he decided he wanted to leave. So I, I think if someone was going to transfer, it would have happened by now, which is another reason why I'm kind of avoiding answering this question directly because I really don't see it needing to be answered. Not that it's a bad question because it is a really interesting hypothetical. I just don't think it's going to come to fruition. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. Good. <laughs> um, I'll move on to the next question then. Um, from Pmart eleven twenty one, aka at the at the underscore dude eleven twenty one. I'm not sure what the eleven twenty one means. Probably November twenty first. Probably his birthday. Maybe. I don't know. That's my guess. <laughs> um, he he or she. Uh, asked, discuss the topic of almost the entire starting defense graduating at the end of this season and how to go about replacing 75 to 80-ish percent of your starters on one side of the football. So PMART1121 <laughs> is already looking past this season. Um, which <laughs> Might be know, for the best, we don't yeah. know. <laughs> but, uh, well, it's, but it's an interesting question because you know that the coaching staff has to basically be planning out their recruiting strategy to this end, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, looking out beyond this season, um, and and should have been for the you know the last couple of years, you know, looking at their their scholarship mix, and it's it's an interesting question because I was just quickly looking at it and uh, looking at the seniors that we have. The two that sprite me the most are that Colin Schooler and Tony Fields are gone. 
Um, but also Anthony Pandy, Kylan Wilborn, Jalen Harris is a redshirt junior, which means he could also potentially be leaving in some yeah. fashion. Uh, J.B. Brown, Trayvon Mason, Miles Tapasoa, and Jalen Cochran all across the defensive line um, are seniors of some form. And then Lorenzo Burns, I think, is your only senior at corner. And uh, Jarius Wallace, I believe, is the only senior safety left. So the front so, seven could all be gone next season, and the, the safeties are all gone going into this season. Basically. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the one that maybe frightens me the most is – is uh and we you know if we've been moving through the depth chart and we'll go into it uh, probably next week or the week after i get a little concerned about going to a 3-4 defense where you need four linebackers two in the middle and right now i think the only middle linebackers we have are schooler fields and darian clark and maybe maybe some other linebackers move inside um like isaiah johnson perhaps um but yeah, there's there's going to be holes to fill and i think you're starting to see that in the recruiting class right now it's mm-hmm. been pretty defense heavy which is smart. Um, and then, you know, on, on the defensive line side, this is where we're going to really next, not this coming season, this, the year after that is when we're going to see really how someone in the, both the prior and current defensive coaching staffs have recruited along the D line. Cause you're still going to have Keon bars, Mikey Irving, the Salunga, who neither of those two guys have done much. Keon bars was a, you know, underrated gem. Mm-hmm. Who who could, looked great as a freshman, and then you're gonna have Regan Terry and Dion Wilson, uh, and the you know becoming either sophomores or redshirt freshmen. I wouldn't expect the um, you know the, the a lot of the guys we just got like uh, to to step in there immediately like uh, um, like Paris Shand or uh, I'm blanking on the Chantrell Key. Chantrell Key. You know. Jabari Triplett's going to miss this season. He injured himself. Yeah, who is one of those guys that probably would have been maybe a def- uh, inside linebacker. You know, it's going to be a challenge, and this is where there's going to be opportunities for these young guys, and hopefully that's where the high floor comes into play. Um, you know, there should be also. I wouldn't. I would not mind at all if they if the coaching staff started to go the grad route and the grad transfer route to fill in some of these spots. Um, you know they're gonna have to they're gonna have to find ways to piece it together. Uh, the positive thing is I think there is you feel pretty good about the corners for a couple years out, which is for Arizona that's been a bugaboo for you know 20 years, <laughs> ever ever or 15 years ever since Antoine Cason and Trevin Wade have you know graduated or went to the NFL. But you know it's this is where you're gonna it's gonna be put up or shut up time for some of these these recruits, right? Yeah. Um, but this question, Johnson, Eddie, uh, you, Eddie, you know him. <laughs> this question, though, will be answered like a year from now or even after this season, because you nailed it, Brad. You look at the recruiting, what Arizona is doing. They've focused so much on defense because they see the writing on the wall. They're losing a lot of guys. And then, you remember these guys are losing are mostly Rich Rodriguez recruits. They weren't recruited to fit this defensive system, which I guess is probably changing once again now. So they're bringing in players who are meant to be – they're meant to play the system that Paul Rhodes is going to run, that Kevin Sumlin wants to run here in the U of A. So in theory – what you want to see, or what you, not in theory, what you do want to see this season is, well, those 75, 80% of the guys who are seniors are going to get the bulk of your reps. You want to see those younger players start to mix in and make some plays to give you confidence that they can step in next season because certainly there's, 
that's a lot to it's a lot to have to replace. But at the same time, you look at the defense hasn't been that good, so there's also a chance for things to improve. So it's it's a concern only in that it's the unknown because they don't we don't know if they have guys who can fill in for Colin School or for Tony Fields for J.B. Brown, right? But we see the recruiting; they're trying to fill out the roster with players who can do that. And so if a few of them come out this season and play well or show that on special teams that they can be contributors to something then you'll feel a lot better about that because that's college football for you guys. They come and they go. You have them for three, four, maybe five years, and then they leave. That's it. So you have to prepare for that. And the best coaching says once you have a program put together, you can do that because you see, oh, we're going to lose all these defensive players. Let's recruit some on that side of the ball so that way when you need to replace those guys, you have the replacements already on the roster. Or you could fill in with a couple of grad transfers to plug those holes. So hey, it's a really good question because, yeah, that's a lot to lose. But I do think with what, like you said, Brett, what Arizona's done over the last couple of recruiting classes or over the last one going into this season and what we're seeing the start of the next one is try to fill those holes. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but they're, they're trying. They, they see it too, and they're working to try to fill that. Well, the, yeah, the coaches see it, and I friggin' guarantee you it's part of their recruiting pitch to a lot of these defensive guys, right? Like there's going to be early opportunities for some of these guys, you know, those high three-star guys that, you know, nobody wants to be recruited to be a backup. Uh, and if you go to the USC's or Oregon's, it's not as easy to play as a sophomore, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you come to Arizona in some of these position groups where we're having a lot of losses. You know, if you're if you're a high end or like a high floor with some potential middle linebacker, Arizona would be a hell of a good spot to land at because you're going to be starting in 18 months. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Um, if you if you aren't if you're willing to bet on yourself, you know if you go if that kid goes to Texas, he's going to play special teams for three years and hopefully see some snaps at, as a senior, <laughs> right? Um, it's so the the question kind of answers itself in terms of how they're going to go about recruiting too, and it becomes one of those selling points. Absolutely. So good question, and yeah, I, I it's. With any luck, if everything goes to point, one, there is a season, and then two, over the course of that season, the defense with this new coaching staff, one, shows they have a better handle on things, that they're better coached, better schemes, better game plan, and they're just an improved defense because of that. Then you see some of these young guys who will be relied on or should be relied on next season step up and make some plays because that, that's, that's college football for you. you know. And this is a coaching staff that clearly recognizes that's going to be an issue, and they're trying to fix it before it becomes a real problem. So... Thank you for the questions, you guys, for the mailbag. We always appreciate that. And, yeah, Brett, I think that's about it for the show. Do we have anything else? Is, are we good? I think, I, think we've, uh, I think we have successfully filled another show with some solid content, Adam. We'll that's, have to uh, work, work. We're working in the background to try to fill, fill more fun <laughs> and enlightening shows in the future, hopefully with some more guests and uh, jump back into the going through the football depth chart. Yeah, yeah, and as always, Wildcat Radio, tune in. we got more of those play-by-plays Bryant and the guys are doing from old Arizona basketball games. It's always good when they win. You know, Even if you know they're going to win, it's still a nice take on it, a different perspective, because you watch a game and you know what's going to happen, and call it that way, it kind of it changes the dynamic in a fun way. You know, So make sure you're tuning into those, too. And, yeah, we'll be back next week probably with another position group breakdown. But until then, thanks for listening, and remember to bear down. Bear down.